Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you so much for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Hope you are well and safe. Here we wrap up the month of April. March and April of 2020, we may remember them or they just may be a blur as we move forward. I mean, it's just like everything stopped for a couple of months and now we're trying to get things going again. So we wrap up April. We have several things to talk about. We're going to talk about uh, efforts to help the biofuels industry and what's not getting done to help the biofuels industry, quite frankly. We'll talk with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, and concerns that the critics of the renewable fuel standard will take this crisis as an opportunity to try to uh, finish off the RFS once and for all. We'll be talking about that. Uh, Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association will be with us. We'll talk about the President's decision to keep packing plants open. There's some controversy around that, and we'll talk about that on today's program and just look at the impact of COVID-19 on the beef industry. And speaking of the beef industry, one state is looking at hooking up, helping to hook up uh, consumers directly with beef producers for their meat. We're going to talk with the executive vice president of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association about the effort they have there in Oklahoma. So all that's coming up on today's program, but we'll start it off with Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Jerry, thank you for being with us. This move by the president to keep meat packing plants open, being hailed by some, being criticized by some others. Well, that's right. Yeah, it's being hailed most of all by Republican politicians. I would say they're more enthusiastic about it than even the meat industry. I've noticed that the meat industry statements are rather cautious. Uh, they're 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 saying thank you, but they're 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 not the same kind of endorsements that you see from some of the uh, Republican senators. Uh, uh, and then on the other side, of course, you have the uh, the unions representing the the meat workers, uh, and they're saying we've got to have these protections. And then I would say in the middle, you have the Democratic politicians, particularly House Agriculture Committee cha- uh, Chairman Colin Peterson, who says if the workers aren't safe, this just isn't going to work. And uh, I was very impressed with the effort that he's putting out to get the plant in Worthington, Minnesota, open. Uh, and he's had two press conferences in the last two days in which uh, he and yesterday Governor uh, Tim Walls of Minnesota said they put together a local committee that will include uh, the owner, JBS, and the union uh, to come to agreement on reopening the plant. Uh, so... If the union and the management can work together, I think that's the most hopeful sign. Yeah, and that'll take some work. And we've we've seen where a lot of lawyers have weighed in on this and they have differing opinions. I mean, it's obviously we need the plants open. But it's it's one thing to say they have to be open. But it's another thing. You have to have people healthy enough to work in them. So that has to be can take, uh, taken into consideration. And then making sure that those that are there are safe. So there's a lot of layers to this. There certainly are, and another issue is when you reopen the plants, uh, will they be uh, re-engineered in a way so that there will, the workers won't stand so close together? 
Uh, former Secretary, uh, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack was on television yesterday saying uh, that one thing you could do is, is, is slow down these line speeds that have been so controversial. Uh, uh, but if you have the workers standing farther apart, I think you're, of course, not going to have the same uh, level of efficiency that you've had in, in producing meat. And one wonders if that means that retail meat prices will go up in the future because you just won't have the same amount going through so, so quickly. It's, yeah, the, it's all very, there's a lot of questions here to see what the future is like. That's right. The distancing would probably slow things down for sure. So that's all part of it. And we'll talk more about that with Ethan Lane with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association a little bit later on. Uh, meanwhile, we look at other areas of agriculture, and it seems like about every area of agriculture is being being hard hit. Uh, the biofuels industry is really being hard hit, and there doesn't seem to be a lot of uh, direct assistance coming from uh, the government. There are some things being introduced in Congress uh, that would help m- maybe longer term, but boy, short term, they're really taking a hit. Yes, uh, I think that the, the biofuels uh, industry, not so much, the corn farmers are supposed to get some kind of payment out of what out of the uh, you know the coronavirus aid package that the agriculture department has announced but there's nothing for the plants and the workers in the plants uh, and to me they are the worst off of anybody in agriculture at this point uh, and the momentum at the moment seems to be to do something to help the oil industry and to a degree, this comes down to this issue in the Trump administration always, the tension between the oil industry and the biofuels industry. And Trump always says that he wants to help both, but usually in the end, it's the oil industry that gets the help. Yeah, and, you know, if you're to really help corn farmers, you need to get those plants back open because that's a big market for corn growers, uh, it's certainly having a ripple effect throughout the rural economy. Oh, it's, uh, uh, it certainly is. Now, Senator Grassley says if, there's help, if Congress provides aid to the oil industry, then, then it should also provide aid to ethanol. And uh, Senator Hoven has introduced a bill to provide money to put more, more oil into the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, uh, and but when I asked him about uh, Senator Grassley's proposal, he raised the issue of whether the re- renewable fuel standard uh, can be maintained because there's there's so little oil uh, or not yeah so little gasoline consumption. So uh, uh, I do think there and I I hear about other efforts also to to gut the RFS. So we just have to see what's uh, what will happen here. But the entire of course, the entire gasoline sector is in, in a terrible state as long as n- nobody is consuming. The world is just awash in petroleum. And real quick, uh, Jerry, are you hearing anything more from USDA on how they're going to implement uh, some of this uh, stimulus money? Uh, only that, uh, uh, that Senator Hoven said that they have sent the, the, uh, the proposal for the payments I guess to the livestock producers and to the crop producers, to the uh, to OMB. Now, uh, Chairman Peterson uh, is very angry about the uh, way the CCC is being handled, the Commodity Credit Corporation. So he thinks that they should actually pull back on this. 
he wants new rules going in on the CCC so that, that the secretary would have to seek approval from the House Agriculture Committee, House and Senate Agriculture Committee chairs and ranking members. Uh, and he says he'll oppose any efforts to put more money into the CCC unless he gets some, uh, some wow. regulations on that. Yep, so that's something to watch for sure. All right, Jerry, thank you. Take care. All right, bye-bye. Jerry Hagstrom with the Hagstrom Report. Up next, Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, here on AOA. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF. That's smart. Always read and follow label directions. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Well, you know the situation. People aren't driving because of the economic shutdown. Uh, That means not much demand for fuel it's really hurt the ethanol industry plants are idling or closing hanging on tanks are full uh, storage is at capacity with no place to go with it we see stimulus packages assistance packages coming out for other areas of agriculture but not the biofuels industry as of yet and now we're hearing the administration thinking about stepping in and giving some aid or assistance to the oil industry but still nothing yet for the biofuels industry. Let's talk now with the CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, Brian Jennings. Brian, does that kind of sum up a a pretty bleak situation right now for ethanol? Yeah, Mike, good morning. It's a a sobering and and somewhat sad, but it's an accurate assessment that you just um, offered. That's exactly the case that Congress is, you know, um, appropriated trillions with a T uh, of emergency uh, dollars in relief, and the administration is doling that out as we speak, and ethanol has been left out largely from those packages. Now, I, I, I should say that, of course, ethanol producers can and many have applied for these Paycheck Protection Program loans, and that's very helpful, and so I don't want to diminish that, but the, the PPP program covers just a portion of the payroll for uh, almost two months, um, doesn't take into consideration some of the other expenses these producers have. And then, you know, you cited it in the lead into this with, with people not driving and demand for all transportation fuel down. Gasoline use has been cut by almost half. Ethanol use has been cut by more than half. Um, the price for these products has gone, um, you know, into the into the tank, and so ethanol producers can't make any money when they're still buying maybe some corn, but they're selling ethanol for 80 cents or 85 cents a gallon. Um, we've been talking to some ethanol producers, Mike, who lost more money in the month of March than they made 
in the years 2018 and 2019. And so working capital is simply vanishing um, from these producers who have been pretty conservative uh, about their businesses. And so, you know, we want them to, we want them to stick around, but this is, it's, it's, it's getting more and more difficult for them uh, to continue. Wow. Let's, let's say that again. Some ethanol producers lost more in one month, March of this year, than they made in 2018 and 2019 combined. Is that what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. Now, 2018 and 2019 were pretty tough years for our industry. And so, um, profits were, were difficult to come by in those years, but a lot of producers were able to make maybe a, a million or $2 million um, in each of those years. We know of producers that are losing substantially more than that uh, simply in the month of March of 2020. And, and my fear, Mike, is that April is going to be even worse because if you think about sort of how this unfolded, We had the oil price war between the Saudis and the Russians the full month of March, no doubt about it. But a lot of these shelter-in-place and and stay-home orders, the economy grinding to a halt, that didn't happen March 1st. That really began to happen in the middle part of March. We're going to have that on steroids for the month of April. So when these ethanol producers get their April financials, I'm, I'm really concerned about what that's going to look like. And that's why I say... Even the most conservative, efficient, profitable plants that have some working capital built up, that's going to begin to to vanish um, over the months of of March and April. And we are going to need some relief. You see the Trump administration really quickly mobilizing to provide bridge or emergency loans to the oil and gas sector. Um, Congress doling out all of these, these emergency funds. So far... No direct aid has been provided to the biofuel sector. And so we're trying to shout and scream and holler and get the attention of Congress and the White House that they can't afford to to leave our sector behind. Yeah, what do you think when you hear that they're considering helping out the oil industry, but still, what, crickets when when you ask for assistance for the ethanol industry? Uh, I want to, like, you know, punch the wall i want to scream and shout it makes it makes me angry mike i'm not going to lie because that's on top of still epa hasn't provided uh direction on how they're going to handle small refinery exemptions in the future despite a court case we won that that should require them to restrict the number of those sres so it's you know it's on top of all of the, the other pain and suffering that our industry has felt over the last couple years um and so we wrote a letter to the president. Um, it was a polite letter, but we wrote a letter to the president on Monday just pointing out that, hey, as the administration does try to mobilize to rescue oil and gas producers, you've got to remember these renewable fuel producers who are so important to the economic fabric uh, of rural America and the supply chains. We've talked about the, the CO2 to food processors being disrupted because ethanol plants shut down, of course, distillers' grains. Um, necessary for feeding cattle. Um, so we play such an important role in so many parts of the economy, we can't afford to, to leave the renewable fuel producers behind. 
We're talking with Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol. And then, like sharks seeing blood in the water, you've got the critics of the renewable fuel standard wanting to use this crisis situation basically to finish off the RFS to do do away with it. That's precisely right. So every group that, you know, from the left side of the spectrum to the far right side of the spectrum seems to be coming out right now supporting the request of some of these oil state politicians and the refiners that COVID-19 is an excuse for EPA just to sort of forget about the fact that the law, the renewable fuel standard, requires a certain level of, of ethanol and biodiesel blending each year. So you're right. And then that's predictable, I suppose. You, you see these groups come out of the woodwork. But we have to remind EPA and the White House once again, the RFS is the law of the land. It cannot be ignored or simply waived due to something like coronavirus. And in fact, the law requires EPA to ensure minimum levels are met each and every year. And these small refinery waivers that they've been issuing, of course, undermines that. And so the list is long, unfortunately, of things we need the administration and EPA to do. Um, you and I talked about it last week. They can start by not hurting us. And by not hurting us, it means making sure that they uphold the RFS and don't give in to these political um, opportunistic requests by groups to undermine the renewable fuel standard. All right, Brian, let's look ahead. Uh, we're starting to see this slow reopening of the economy. So it doesn't look like uh, driving is going to pick up rapidly. It's going to be a slow process. How does the industry survive till we get back to where everyone's out and going again? Yeah, I think you're right. I think it is going to be a slow recovery. Amazingly, we saw ethanol blending from the latest statistics from the Energy Administration, Information Administration indicate ethanol blending went up a bit last week. And so we hope that continues, that trend continues. But supplies are so strong that, that it's going to take a while. And that's why producers are looking into sanitizer and some of these other uses. But we're still going to be operating at about half our capacity for some period of time until we work through these surplus stocks. You mentioned the hand sanitizer is a great story, but it's been difficult in some cases to be able to do that. For some, it has. A lot of producers made investments to produce sort of food or pharmaceutical-grade alcohol, and they've been fine in supplying sanitizer or alcohol, I should say, for sanitizer. Others were operating under the, some relaxed guidance that the Food and Drug Administration issued in March only to see EPA, or excuse me, FDA pull the rug out from under that guidance uh, this month in April. And so some of the, these producers have experienced whiplash in terms of they could supply alcohol for sanitizer for a period of time, and now they're being told by FDA they can't. We're in contact with FDA to try to straighten this out. But it, it's been frustrating because that has been a market that some producers, not all, but some producers have been able to to work towards yeah the ethanol industry really taking some body blows one right after another brian thanks for being with us and uh, sharing uh, the story as bad as it is we appreciate the update and uh, stay safe good to talk with you thanks so much mike you too take care brian jennings ceo of the american coalition for ethanol up next ethan lane with ncba we'll talk about that 
order by the president to keep meatpacking plants open. Stay with us here on AOA. This is a call for all farmers to come to the aid of their beans. Liberty Herbicide can now be applied on your Enlist E3 soybeans. Superior weed control, greater application flexibility, no known resistance in U.S. row crops. Liberty Herbicide battles tough weeds so your beans can live free and grow healthy. Talk to your BASF rep to learn more. Always read and follow label directions. Liberty is a registered trademark of BASF. Enlist E3 is a trademark of Dow AgroSciences. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Ethan, thank you for joining us. The president's move to keep meatpacking plants open, certainly much needed, but not without controversy. There are debates about worker safety. There are questions about legality of the order. So there's a lot going on here. What's uh, what's your reaction, first of all, and your thoughts on how this will play out? Well, we're, we're incredibly appreciative of, of the president uh, taking the action that he did, given what we've seen play out with these packing plants around the country. I mean, our producers need to ensure that their cattle can continue moving through the system. And, and this helps provide a little bit of uniformity to, to how that response is, is happening. You know, we've seen CDC and OSHA guidance uh, in the past week or two uh, to clarify how plants uh, and need to operate in order to ensure that worker safety. And, and from everything we've seen, they're, they're walking the walk and they're taking those actions. Um, and and we, they've run into some roadblocks with some state and local health officials and different interpretations of, of those things. And then, of course, we're also hearing uh, some unions start to get involved and, and uh, some of those, uh, those corners of the world start to voice uh, concern there. But but, you know, what we continue to hear is that the, the, the safest environment these workers are in each day is while they're at these plants. They're, they're the cleanest possible environment. And, and where we're seeing infection issues isn't necessarily while they're on the job. It's, it's, it's when they go home at night. Um, it's, it's in their off hours, and it's in those times when you, when you can't ensure a clean environment. So uh, I, I think it's, it's, it's helpful that we're starting to see a little bit of direction from, uh, from, the, from the administration as far as uh, uh, what we need to keep these plants up and operating. So we're hearing about things like maybe uh, spreading the workers out, moving them physically further apart, social distancing in the workplace, if you will. That would seem to indicate then slower line speeds. What are your thoughts on that? It, it's obviously it'd be better than the plant closed altogether, but how much of an impact does that have if you slow things down? Well, I think we've seen that over the last over the last few weeks. I, you know, the, uh, the the Packers that we've talked to have been have been taking those those actions for weeks now. They they have put that that space. Uh, into place on the lines, and, and as you said correctly, uh, that does have a corresponding reduction in line speed, but uh, some processing is better than no processing at these plants, and as they weather the worst part of this, of this crisis, um, keeping those plants moving so that when they can start to staff back up and when they can start to speed back up, they're, they're in position to do that, uh, gives us the best opportunity to, to bounce back to, to full 
process and capacity as quickly as possible. Um, and, and I think that's, that's, that's really been the, the focus here is, is to, to, to keep the thing moving as, as, as efficiently as possible under the worst possible circumstances. Um, but, I mean, the actions these, these guys are taking um, are, are really unprecedented. I mean, from, from you know, uh, I, I, uh, the time these, these workers arrive in the morning and screening and, and, and uh, making sure that they're healthy to, to the way they eat their lunch to ensure that they're not infecting anybody um, to the way they go about their day on the line itself. Uh, uh, you know, we, we need to make sure that uh, that, that they're being uh, treated fairly if they're putting these protections in place for their workers to ensure that they can continue to operate and, and provide this critical service to the American people. Tyson's chairman saying the food chain is breaking. What do you, uh, is is that how you would look at it, or what is your assessment of the food chain? I, I think that the food chain is, is, is really being put to the test right now, and I think that we are, uh, to some degree, passing that test. We're getting food to store shelves. There is beef available. There is no shortage of beef in grocery stores. I think, I think what, what Tyson was trying to say there, and I don't want to speak for them, obviously, was that we need to be concerned about issues if we don't take this seriously. And I think that's exactly what everybody's doing, is taking this seriously and, and doing everything we can throughout the supply chain to ensure that it continues to operate. Uh, you know, I, I think it's really important to continue to remind people that uh, as we sit here today, there is beef in the grocery store. And, and there's going to be beef in the grocery store tomorrow. We have, uh, we have the resources available to do that. Uh, we are managing uh, uh, everything we can to ensure that continues to happen. And the packing sector is doing everything they can to continue processing cattle um, and and that's where we've got to keep our focus is on is on managing through this and making smart decisions to ensure that that supply chain continues to operate we're talking with Ethan Lane vice president government affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association an ongoing issue has been hours of service for truck drivers uh, what's the latest on that so now that we've moved through several of these coronavirus relief packages, uh, many on Capitol Hill are turning their attention to what the next package will look like, and, and that is starting to take the shape of sort of an infrastructure package, which you know has been an inside joke in Washington for most of this administration, just because there have been so many false starts on that front. But you know, as we look at, at, at trillions of dollars going out the door, I think a lot of people are starting to look at how we get the most bang for the buck, and, and obviously infrastructure means jobs, jobs means getting people back to work, and that's healthy for everybody in the economy. We look at that as a really good opportunity to look for a permanent fix to that hours of service issue that, uh, that has vexed us for so long uh, in our industry. And, and so we're, we were really pleased to see uh, a letter out of uh, uh, many U.S. senators in the last week calling for just such a fix. Uh, whether or not uh, uh, Leader McConnell and, and the leaders of the Senate uh, are, are, are going to be able to get a package like that together uh, under these circumstances remains to be seen. I, you know, the, the situation seems to change about every hour, quite frankly. But I think the, I think the will is there. I think, I think across the board, Republicans and Democrats both want to try to get something done here. Um, and, you know, they've, they've done a lot already, obviously, as far as direct payments and, 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 and support uh, financially to the country, and those programs are taking shape. But we do need to start looking at how we get people back to work. Um, and there are a lot of priorities that can be handled in that kind of package. There are also a lot of concerns, though, because we're always going to see people with an environmental agenda or other things that are going to want to try to creep into that process as well, and, and that always kind of slows the, slows the gears of progress on Capitol Hill. What about the direct assistance to producers? Where does that stand? We are expecting a final rule from USDA 
uh, to uh, OMB and the White House here in the next couple days. They've been working through what that program looks like. Obviously, uh, we, we've, uh, uh, we've seen some top-level details. Uh, we've voiced some concern in the cattle industry with, with some of the, the formula details that we've heard. Uh, we have some concern that the way that, that $5 billion would be spent under the formula we've seen uh, would, would really leave a lot of our producers uh, out in the cold, particularly our cow-calf segment. Uh, it would lock them into some, some uh, uh, unacceptably low payments. And, and we know there are additional resources available. There's another $14 billion that was funded into the Commodity Credit Corporation that hasn't been uh, spelled out as part of this package yet. We think that provides additional resources that could go to a second round of payments that could ensure that our cow-calf producers and stockers and, and feeders that are incurring losses later in the year are taken care of as well. But drawing an arbitrary uh, uh, date of April 15th, uh, for more comprehensive payments. I mean, where our, our producers are hurting today, and and that that pain is it did not end on April 15th, nor should nor should comprehensive payments to 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 try to get them uh, uh, taken care of to whatever extent we can during this crisis. So we're going to continue to push for uh, uh, a stronger payment system. We're going to continue to push for a lift on those on those payment caps, and and in particular uh, those commodity specific caps, which really go to impact cattle producers that aren't diversified in the multiple crops. You think that's what USDA, or at least one of the things they are looking at now while we're waiting for an announcement from them on how it's going to work? I, I think they've heard a tremendous amount of feedback, not just from us, but throughout agriculture about some of those concerns. Um, and I, I, I am hopeful that they are they are weighing that in, in what they put into a final rule. I, I think they're trying to do the best they can to get something out the door that works for everybody. They have a lot more need than they do resources, and that's going to mean uh, more conversations with Capitol Hill to, to, to send more direct uh, resources to agriculture specifically. Uh, you know, we're watching airlines get billions of dollars. We're watching different segments of the economy get different different amounts. Uh, we're incredibly grateful for the resources we've been provided, but it's going to take more to, to, to help agriculture through this, through this crunch, and, and uh, we're already starting those conversations on Capitol Hill. One other issue, uh, Ethan, there evidently is a petition drive underway. Supposedly 250,000 signatures have been uh, have been secured on the petition to get mandatory country of origin labeling. How do you respond to that? You know, I, I think that uh, we've seen a lot of people from across the industry already respond to that. Uh, the, the folks that, that believe that MCOOL is the answer to these problems um, uh, believed that before this situation, and they're going to continue to believe it afterwards. But at, at the end of the day, making large-scale policy decisions like this in the middle of a crisis is not the solution. Uh, uh, MCOOL is not the reason we are seeing the problems in the market that we're seeing today, and MCOOL is not going to solve those issues today. Uh, so I, I guess that would be my, my initial response to that. Uh, we've been working hard on product of the USA labeling, trying to do away with that, with that open-ended label in favor of voluntary origin labels that actually give producers the ability to, to build some value in product that was uh, raised in a certain way or in a certain part of the country. We think that's what consumers are looking for and responding to. Um, and we think a lot of that authority exists uh, if we can make some changes to prevent uh, the blanket use of labels like product of the USA without that source verification. But we believe that needs to be done in a voluntary way, um, and that's a conversation we've been having for quite some time up on, uh, up on Capitol Hill and with USDA. Uh, obviously, this coronavirus situation uh, sort of has sucked the wind out of all these conversations, but, but we believe there's a route to, to provide the kind of source verification that, that consumers are looking for and that will give producers uh, what, what, what they want as far as 
uh, making sure that they get credit for raising the best beef in the world. Um, and, and so we're going to continue to push for that. All right, Ethan, thank you for the update. We appreciate it. Take care. Thank you, Mike. All right, Ethan Lane, Vice President, Government Affairs for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Tomorrow we'll be talking with the President-elect of the National Pork Producers Council, Jen Sorensen, get her thoughts and reaction to the President's order to keep those meat packing plants open. Coming up next, what's being done in the state of Oklahoma to help connect consumers directly with beef producers And we'll get the very latest on that with the Executive Vice President of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. Stay with us on AOA. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Network. For farm and ranch information you can depend on and the sources you can trust. Adams on Agriculture and the American Ag Network. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, so I want to go back to what Brian Jennings, CEO of the American Coalition for Ethanol, said earlier. This really points out how tough it is right now in the ethanol industry that some ethanol producers lost more money in the month of March this year, just in that month, than they made in the years of 2018 and 2019 combined, and that April may be worse, very well could be worse than March was. That shows you the situation the ethanol industry is facing. We know that the livestock industry is taking uh, really a hard hit there in a crisis situation. Really, it's kind of that way throughout agriculture as the impact of COVID-19 really sets in here, just as we are starting to... uh, uh, try to come out of it with uh, this recovery, uh, starting restarting our economy. And just some thoughts on that. Uh, you know, as I just this week, I stood in line at my local home improvement store to get in. I found myself, you know, growing impatient as I took steps. You go six feet at a time in line, and as you wait for the employee at the store to give you the okay to to enter. So I was was getting kind of impatient. I'm not the most patient person in the world standing in lines. But then I realized how thankful I was that the store was even open. And it was kind of a, it hit me, that's welcome to our new normal. I watched others in line wait patiently for their turn and thought to myself, you know, we can do this, we can adjust, and we can make this work. It reminded me of when we had to adjust to the extra security at airports and having to take our shoes off. We didn't like it, but soon we accepted it as a needed precaution to keep us safe. We made that adjustment. And I thought as I stood there in line at a home improvement store, if we can do it at grocery stores and home improvement stores, we can do it at other places as well. Obviously, there are still health concerns, but we've never had a zero-risk society, and we never will. There will always be risks out there. Efforts by some politicians to keep everyone quarantined at home seem increasingly as futile as trying to hold back the ocean with a broom. Some of the efforts we've seen to keep people isolated seem like political agendas at play more than safety precautions. Some of these politicians downplay and reject any effort that seems to be a positive move towards reopening the economy or getting past this uh, virus 
crisis situation. As we begin our recovery, and it's it's starting to take place, whether some of our elected officials want it or not, we're starting to get the economy up and going again. As we begin this recovery, it will take a lot of common sense, which I must admit is often lacking in our society, especially by our elected leaders. But I think we should proceed with caution, but still proceed. Just because a restaurant or other business is open doesn't mean we have to go in if we don't yet feel safe. But that is a decision we should get to make. The debate over shutting down our economy will be a long one. That debate's going to go on for years. Looking back, many will say it was the best, best option at the time to fight the virus. Others will claim it was too drastic a measure that may have done more harm in the long run than the virus itself. Fear can do that, can cause you to make some of those uh, uh, wrong decisions. But time will tell. History will decide what was right, what was wrong there. But there are many lessons to be learned from this crisis, and we're learning that one of them is that government cannot fix all of our problems. Even when our elected officials stop fighting long enough to pass assistance, we are reminded that it comes with limits, delays, restrictions, and yes, mistakes. We've also learned that our food supply chain, a model of efficiency usually, has its vulnerabilities. Technology and automation are great tools, but we still rely on people doing their jobs. Often, as in the case in packing plants, these are jobs that many Americans just don't want to do, even if faced with unemployment, as many are now. Now, we've also learned that our food supply system, while efficient, is not always flexible. It is designed to deliver specific products to specific markets, and a disruption like we're seeing now can dramatically slow or even stop that system all together. Hopefully we'll learn from that and perhaps find ways to make that system more flexible moving forward. You know, this crisis hopefully will soon be history and it won't be our last crisis. There'll be more coming up. But as we put this one behind us, eventually we need to make sure we learn some of these lessons and not forget them. Writer and philosopher George Santayana. Now, I didn't know he was the one who came up with an often expressed um, quote here. So I had to look it up and found out that he was the one who once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Now, we've kind of paraphrased that over the years and, you know, and we've kind of got it down to where those who don't learn the lessons from history are doomed to repeat it or, or things like that. But I think that is something that we need to keep in mind through this crisis. Lessons to be learned, things to avoid moving forward, and not repeat mistakes of the past. Mistakes are going to happen, especially when you're dealing with something unlike we've ever dealt with before. But we can learn from those mistakes and not repeat them. COVID-19 won't be our last crisis, but we need to make sure that what we learn from this one will help us to better handle the next crisis and those coming up in the future. All right, just some of my thoughts on uh, not only where we're at now, but as we're stri- you know, taking those strides and those steps to come out of this and get things up and going again in our country today. All right. Uh, hope we were going to try to talk with the executive vice president of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. We'll try that another time. Not available right now. Uh, but they are putting out a list to help consumers uh, directly connect with cattle producers in the state 
for their beef. So I, I think we're going to see more of those types of efforts going on as we uh, deal with COVID-19. Tomorrow, we're going to take a look at the uh, how small meat processors, your meat lockers in your local communities, how are they handling uh, an increase in business and volume, and could they take on even more, or are they limited in what they can do? And we'll also get that reaction from the pork industry to um, the president's order to keep the meat packing plants open. Stay safe, everyone. Hope you'll join us again tomorrow on AOA.